Tick, tick. Stuff's 2020 election podcast. So it's kissing babies time again. Yeah, politicians officially back on the campaign trail now that Parliament's shut for the second time. Arguably, though, some of them are taking things a bit far. How so? Well, did you see that footage of Judith Collins the other day letting a teething baby gnaw her hand while she talked to the mother? Ah, oh, that. Actually, what are the rules for level two about being chewed by random babies? Anyway, Hari Mai, welcome. This is Tick Tick Stuff's 2020 election podcast for Saturday, the 5th of September. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Tēnā koutou katoa. We bring you the news, some of the more unusual things about this election, and then we slow things down to focus on one particular topic. There are 42 days until the election. Remember we interviewed Grant Duncan from Massey University about the Stuff Massey election survey? Well, round two of the survey is underway. And I gave it a go the other night. Yeah, me too. Hey, did you pass the first question? Are you human? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, thanks for asking. Funnily enough, I did. Good to know I wasn't a bot. You never can be too sure. Hey, those uh, later questions were a bit more interesting though, eh? Yeah, there was stuff you'd expect about political and leader preference, but then there was a whole category of questions on some of the touchier topics of the year. Vaccination, fake news, freedom of speech. There was even a question asking whether you felt the government has been honest about what it knows about COVID. Conspiracy alert. Yeah, those questions about institutional racism and attitudes to COVID escapees, I I thought they were really interesting too. It was really broad, interesting. So go on, tick tickers, jump online and take part. It'll give us something to talk about in a future episode. Later in this show, we ponder an age-old Kiwi question, does the world really like us? It's our great national obsession. And to help us answer it, we called Nick Perry, who's the Associated Press's New Zealand and South Pacific correspondent. But first, Eugene, what's been happening? We are staying where we are, people. Alert level 2.5 for Auckland and level 2 for the rest of the country. They're going to remain in place until at least September 16. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said a cautious approach was still needed and affirmed her stance that, quote, the best economic response remains a strong health response. There were three new cases linked to the Auckland cluster yesterday, and with Aucklanders now able to travel around the country, public health officials will be wanting to make sure there's no spread of the disease beyond the super city. The Electoral Commission is looking into claims Labour's Hutt South candidate, Ginny Anderson, hasn't properly declared her donations, a claim that Anderson denies. It all revolves around an office rent deal. A UNICEF report card has ranked New Zealand as one of the worst places in the developed world for children. Jacinda Ardern said the data was from when National was in government and said data was missing from the report. But the author shot back yesterday saying the report was fair, accurate and transparent. The great Kiwi obsession with what does the world think of us just never goes away, does it? So just this week, News Talk ZP had a headline, Jacinda Ardern voted second in world's top 50 thinkers, reporting some list assembled by a British magazine. I mean, can you imagine the opposite happening? The London Times reporting that some Wellington columnist thinks Boris Johnson is a pillock? Anyway, look, there is a lot for us to be proud of. For a tiny country down the bottom of the South Pacific, our leaders have strode the world stage with pride. What? You strode. Yeah. I hate to break this to you, but the past participle of stride is stridden, so it should be... Who who says that? Anyway, should I just say have stepped on the world stage? Well, I've done more than step on the world stage. They're kind of 
they, you know, they've they've stepped on the stage. They've done a little tap dance. They've, you know, um, can it, I just get on been, with been the quite, point? Yeah, yeah, right. All right, right. Okay. okay. Whatever. So the point is, World war, stage. So I mean, if you think back to Peter Fraser, who wartime prime minister, he he played a significant role in the formation of the United Nations in 1945. And there's always that famous clip of David Longy at the Oxford Union debate in 1985. Never gets old. Should we play it again? Of course. And I'm going to give it to you if you hold your breath, just for a moment. <laughs> I can smell the uranium on it as you lean towards <laughs> Mike Moore and Helen Clark left the ninth floor of the Beehive and took on huge international jobs. And there was that time John Key was on The Late Show with David Letterman. Mr. John Key, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, we get a bit of world play. But still, do they really think about us as much as we think they do? Part of the reason the world takes any notice of us, sometimes, is because of foreign correspondence in New Zealand. Now, granted there aren't as many as there used to be, diminishing media budgets, yada yada yada, but one of the world's biggest agencies, Associated Press, or AP as it's known, based out of New York, has one. Hi Nick. Hi Eugene, hi Adam, how's it going? So yeah, Nick is... Nick Perry, and I'm the New Zealand and South Pacific correspondent for the Associated Press. As you can tell from his accent, he's a Kiwi. And there's something we should get out of the way first. Okay, Nick, bit of a disclaimer. You and I used to work together at the New Zealand Herald approximately a million years ago. So Nick started at the Herald in 1998. Yeah, I worked at the uh, Herald for two years and my wife's American. So we decided to move to the US in 2000 and I was there for 11 years, most of the time working at the Seattle Times, which was a great newspaper. He had a great career there with some terrific investigative journalism and was even part of a team which won a Pulitzer Prize. He then went and did a journalism fellowship in Michigan. And then this job uh, with the Associated Press in New Zealand came up and we decided to move back to New Zealand. That was 2011 and he's been here since. So the Prime Ministers on his watch have been John Key, Bill English and Jacinda Ardern. So we thought, who better to give us a fix on how the world really views us and our politics? Nick Perry. So your job now is AP correspondent based in Wellington, but you also cover the Pacific. Huge patch. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting job. And I also sort of jump in with Australia on big stories as well. I was there like in January covering wildfires. That was the biggest story of 2020 <laughs> um, <laughs> before some other larger events happened. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of trying to figure out what's going to be of interest to an international audience um, doing some politics, jumping in on sports occasionally when there's a Rugby World Cup or a Cricket World Cup, natural disasters, animal stories are always uh, a big <laughs> big hit overseas. One of the biggest stories that I did when I first arrived was um, Happy Feet, the penguin. Do you remember Happy Feet? It was an emperor penguin that uh, got washed up on Pika Pika Beach and taken in by the Wellington Zoo. It was eating sand, thinking that it was snow. Got a little off course from Antarctica and the Wellington Zoo nursed it back to health. They actually put a video camera up in the cool store that they'd converted into his home, and we got hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world watching this video stream 24 hours a day, and, like, every few hours the penguin would sort of get up and eat something and flap its flippers and go back to sleep, and people just loved watching it. Time for a follow-up, I think, Nick. Yeah. As we said, the interview is sort of predicated on what the world thinks of us and how we're obsessed about it as a country. And, you know, just the mention of New Zealand on an American talk show or, or the muttering of our name by Donald Trump. New Zealand! Can lead the news. 
That must be kind of weird for you, being the insider acting as the outsider looking in. Yeah, I mean, I think New Zealanders really do put a lot of emphasis on what people think about us overseas, right? And they are pretty fascinated by it. I mean, I think we do struggle to get noticed overseas sometimes. In 2013, this is going back again, I did a story on on John Key, and he'd gone to the funeral of Nelson Mandela and the EPA photographic agency. They'd taken a photo, and the caption of the photo was, British Prime Minister David Cameron and an unidentified guest joked together at the funeral. Of course, that was John Key, and this photo ran all over the world in the New York Daily News. And, you know, that is the problem, that that we're often not famous overseas or as famous as we'd like to think we are. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to our video guys a little bit ahead of this interview, and, you know, there has been this huge uptick in interest since Jacinda Ardern came along. They've been taking a lot more press conferences live than they have previously. I think she's just really struck a chord around the world as a sort of iconic figure. Um, there's, there's been a few huge moments for her on the international stage, like in the UN General Assembly in New York. Uh, this picture speaks for itself. When so we're just she it walked right onto the floor there New with Zealand's baby Neve. Bringing her baby to the UN. She's the first world leader to do so. Jacinda Ardern kissing her three-month-old daughter, Neve. You know, just a few moments like that, her response um, to the mosque shootings, that famous photo that actually a colleague here, Hagen Hopkins, took of her wearing a headscarf and hugging Muslim folks. So moments like that have really sort of elevated her on the international stage. You were here during the John Key uh, prime ministership, and of course he was golfing buddies with Obama. So, I mean, I guess we sort of had an impression that he was a reasonably big deal, but are you saying that Jacinda has overtaken him in that sense internationally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you remember from when John Key got that meeting with Obama at the Oval Office and Obama afterwards was calling him John Keys. Uh, Prime Minister Keys. Prime Minister Keys. Um, so th- that might be an indication that maybe, you know, he <laughs> it wasn't quite as big a deal as we thought. I mean, John Key did forge a, a good relationship, I think, with Obama, and they, they played golf together, and Obama eventually came down to New Zealand as well, although he didn't really say anything when he was here. No. Was <laughs> but Jacinda Ardern is a, a completely different level than John Key, and maybe it's just because John Key is not that different, if you will. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is like a counterpoint to Donald Trump. She's young, she's liberal, she's a woman, She gave birth while in office, only the second leader in modern history to do that. So she's found a connection, I think, with a lot of people. Um, In fact, I think before um, the virus, my my difficulty was in explaining to an overseas audience that she wasn't necessarily as popular here as as people might expect because she was held in such high regard overseas, but there'd been failures with the government in New Zealand, with KiwiBuild and a whole lot of other things that meant that Labour Party was polling behind National, at least until the coronavirus. And now now suddenly, according to the polls anyway, her domestic popularity is kind of matching her international popularity, if you like. So she's sort of catapulted. But writing the news is always a process of sort of filtering and, and simplifying, isn't it? And when people abroad read Vogue cover stories about Jacinda Ardern, the great left-wing hope of the South Pacific. Is there a danger that it gets sort of too simplified? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're looking at the forest, right, I feel like 
New Zealand media might be too focused on the trees in the sense that sometimes we might lose the big picture. And I think that's some of the criticism of the virus response. Um, a lot of people have been watching those press conferences and thinking that New Zealand media is too critical. And, you know, I think the opposite criticism is equally true of international media, where it's maybe seen as too uncritical because we're looking at this big picture and not talking about the speed bumps and saying, look, the virus response has been really fantastic compared to other countries and not maybe taking account of, of some of the problems that we've seen. Sure. I think, you know, both things are true. It can be really hard to get the perspective right, actually. I was just reading a piece in the New York Times this morning about South Korea. And because they're going for the interesting point that South Korea was awesome and now it's not as awesome, it spoke in quite apocalyptic terms. And then it gets to, there have been 360 deaths. And it's like, <laughs> that's still really amazingly small number of deaths for a, for a great big country that hasn't done big lockdowns. There must be some translation required from New Zealandese to rest of the worldese. Can you give us a few examples of, of words or concepts that you always have to spell out in your pieces? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, often I just have to explain what New Zealand is or where it is or, you know, how many people that live here. I'm kind of glad that Amy Adams didn't rise higher in New Zealand politics, <laughs> if, if only for the fact that every single story that I wrote would have to be New Zealand Prime Minister Amy Adams. No, not that one. Uh, <laughs> um so, yeah, there is a bit of explaining. You know, in New Zealand, we read stories and there's just an assumption of a lot of background knowledge. So we have to explain all of that every time. Just last week in the New York Times, I read that New Zealand is a pair of rural islands with a well-established gun culture, um, which caused some excitement on New Zealand Twitter. How do you feel when you see those howlers written from abroad? Yeah, well, that was, that was interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of the New York Times and they haven't been able to get down here, for instance, for the mosque shooting sentencing, which is the story that you're talking about. They did have a stringer here for it, but of course they're not able to fly in and go through quarantine. So you do get these howlers. And that same story, they describe Christchurch as a seaside town. And both of those things I've noticed that they have now taken out of that story. So they obviously picked up on that feedback. So I guess that is the advantage of being based here is that you do have that background. You're hopefully not going to make those kind of mistakes. Well, And from here, you've got a bit of an unfair advantage. Yeah, that's right. Although now I think I've been back here long enough that I've lost those uh, sort of outsider eyes that you need as well. So um, I sometimes forget. Now, hang on. Uh, is that just a Kiwi term or is that something that Americans would understand and I have to sort of <laughs> write an instant message to somebody at work and say, hang, hang on, do you guys use barbecue? I forget, you know. What about spelling? I guess you, um, do you still in your mind spell colour both ways or do you always spell it in American or, or what? I feel like I've been using American spelling so long now that I'm just used to it. And, you know, it's, it's weird because my American wife is writing all the time in New Zealand spelling. So we're sort of like, <laughs> we're reversed like that, right? Look, this is an election podcast, but, you know, here we are, journalists talking to another journalist. So we couldn't help but ask Nick to walk us through his scrapbook, if you like. What were some of his favourite stories? Big stuff, tiny stuff. Just just give us a bit of a, a buffet 
you never know what's going to go viral, right? Or I don't seem to be very good at picking up. Like when I was covering same-sex marriage bill, gay marriage, you know, I wrote this story, thought I'd covered all the bases, Lewis of Wall, John Key, couple about to get married, you know, people singing Polkari Kariana after it had finished. And then I woke up the next morning. One of the messages I had was that this bill was the cause of our drought. And the biggest thing in the world was uh, Morris Williamson's. Well, if any of you follow my Twitter account, you will see that in the Pakaranga electorate this morning, it was pouring with rain. We have the most enormous big gay rainbow across my electorate. Big gay rainbow over Pakaranga. It has to be a sign, sir. It has to be a sign. And I hadn't mentioned any of that. And I had my bosses saying, hang on, this, this, this video has just gone nuts. Why haven't we talked? So I had to sort of rewrite and, and include that. I guess another example might be the Kaikoura earthquake. That is amazing. It was a big event. Two people died. I'd written a few stories about it. And then, of course, the biggest news from that... Are they just on that island? Yeah, they're just on that island. ...with the three cows that managed to survive on that little piece of land with all the land that collapsed around them. Their image went around the world. Two Hereford cows and a calf, stranded on a tiny piece of pasture, thrust two and a half metres above the ground. It was a, an amazing image. I think News Hub had got an aerial shot. But, yeah, so you kind of end up writing a story about that because that's what everybody's watching. With the Christchurch earthquakes, I was very surprised at the level of, of Japanese interest years later in the small annual updates or anniversaries. There was a large number of Japanese students that died. I think 28 Japanese people died in the Christchurch earthquake, which is the largest number of any nationality outside of New Zealanders. But, you know, they did have this massive earthquake and tsunami three weeks after we did with, I think, 18,000 dead. But there was this real fascination, stuff that even New Zealand media weren't covering very much that our Japanese clients were really interested in and, and wanted more about. The Christchurch shootings of March 15 last year, that must have catapulted New Zealand into international coverage in, in a way that hasn't happened probably since the earthquakes. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's for me, I, I arrived after the earthquakes and after Pike River. So in my nine years here, it's just far and away the biggest story. Even, I think, beyond the initial shooting, it had resonance, especially with the US audience, because of the quick change in gun mm -hmm. laws in New Zealand. And, and that's always um, of huge interest to the US, anything to do with gun laws. For us, that was the biggest story in the world, I think, for maybe about five days. We were fortunate. We had a photographer in Christchurch who was able to get to the scene almost immediately, and he handed over his cell phone, and I was able to speak to Len Penniha, who was a neighbour who helped some of the survivors. And, and so we were sort of fortunate enough to be, be right on top of that story from the get-go. We had a US editor who happened to be on vacation in New Zealand at the time. She was just about to fly out from Auckland and uh, she said, okay, I might change my plans and she flew down to Christchurch and helped out as well. On the video side, they basically set up a camera pointed at the memorial wall where the flowers were being laid and had that running live for about three or four days. Um, wow. Basically what happens is that like, say, a, a US TV station will 
say, okay, now here's this Christchurch story. Now we're going to go over live to where people are laying flowers and then we're going to go into our, our pre-prepared uh, package on the story. It was just huge interest in, in that story. So nominally this is a, a politics podcast. So what about your work covering New Zealand's politics and election coverage? How much does the world care about New Zealand politics? And and don't spare our feelings. We understand the answer might even be not not a tiny bit. Yeah. Well, um, Jacinda Ardern is is pretty huge. Everybody, keep your eyes peeled because this time of year in New York, you never know when you'll bump into somebody like New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. I don't think people have heard of Judith Collins. Winston Peters is maybe known a little bit. You know, he does a lot of interviews in Australia and he's quite well known in the Pacific in his role as, as foreign minister. I think there will be interest in the two uh, referendums, although from my perspective, that's something that we're going to write about quite close to the time because mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like there's a sort of a limited attention span and we want to let people know about that maybe in a sort of feature story in the day or two before the vote. Politics kind of connects with a lot of different things. We've written about the different scandals when they've been substantive. I think there's a a lot of interest internationally in the China story and China's expansion and role in the South Pacific. We've seen Australia and the US push back pretty hard against China and New Zealand's in this interesting position of being extremely financially dependent on China as the biggest trading partner but also having this Five Eyes connection. So we're in a pretty interesting position there. You mentioned the coronavirus uh, and, of course, story of the year, but to read New Zealand's media coverage of overseas media, you might get the impression the world is obsessed with New Zealand's COVID response as well. Is that really the case? Oh, I think there was a huge interest in it. In fact, for me, purely from a news story perspective, it was a a little bit deflating when we started having community transmission again because it was kind of like, okay, so we're just like all the rest of the world now again. You know, like we had a unique story to tell for a long time or, or not quite unique, but almost that sort of magical three weeks or so when we had no community transmission and and no imported cases. So there was just like no virus at all. That was kind of amazing. And AP flew me down to Dunedin so I could cover the uh, rugby game between the Highlanders and the Chiefs because here was, you know, 20,000 people turning up to a stadium with no masks, no social distancing and just carrying on life as normal. And that seemed very odd to most people around the world. Uh, when you write a story about New Zealand for foreign consumption, do you spend any time thinking about how it will be received back here? Yeah, I mean, you're always aware of like not wanting to make mistakes, like mentioned before with the New York Times coverage. Right? It's funny, I feel like there's sort of um, a mixed reaction sometimes to foreign stories back here. People kind of roll their eyes at them a little bit because sometimes you're taking stuff that people here know really well and trying to sort of summarise stuff that's happened over months and months and it probably doesn't seem like anything new or, or very exciting to people here usually. We don't always get the chance to sort of break news. Has there ever been a time where you've been in a press pack and you've been conscious that your goals are different or your approach is really quite out of step with the Kiwi journalists? 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm asking really basic questions, but I, I sort of need an answer and I need a quote on that. During the um, virus, I, I was asking, are we prepared for an earthquake if everybody's in lockdown? And that got a lot of criticism on Twitter, that question. But, you know, it was part of an international story about how lockdowns were making us less prepared for the inevitable natural disasters that were happening. So it was sort of reasonable from our perspective. But New Zealanders, they didn't like that question. <laughs> Just to be clear, did you ask it during the 1pm 1, 1 presser? Was it one of those? It, it was, yeah. Yeah, that televising of the 1pm press conference has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> but look, Nick, I think we better let you get back to telling the world all about us because, you know, we don't want us to be missing out on, on headlines around the world. And uh, I think you should follow up on Happy Feet as well. Yeah, well, Happy Feet disappeared into the ocean, so... Uh, track them down, track them down. You're the man for the job. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, thanks, Eugene. Thanks, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. That was the Tick Tick podcast for Saturday the 5th of September. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Nick Perry, Catherine George, Patrick Kutz and John Hartfeld and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on all the podcast platforms and if you want to get in touch with us, you can email ticktick at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism financially, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. We'll be back next week. Matewa. 